Welcome back to episode number seven of Common Sense Uncensored. Today I have with me the mayor of Grand Forks, Brandon Bochensky. How are we doing today, sir? I'm doing well. You know, I'd like to think I'm the best dressed. I didn't put a suit on, though, just for your show, unfortunately. I, you know, and I I thought for sure that you did. Because <laughs> you knew it would be you know, on Facebook Live and whatnot. But no, you went ahead and did that selfishly for another reason. Uh, no, yeah, we were at the, the, the base. Uh, uh, it was a change of command today, so Colonel Pringle is moving on, and Colonel Curry is taking over. He's a... Uh, He's a rock star. He's a, he's a good guy. He's going to be a great uh, commander out there. Nothing but the best uh, going on at the Grand Forks Air Force Base. So great yeah, to see. Colonel Pringle's a loss, but, you know, the community will miss him. But on to bigger and better for him. And uh, sounds like we got another good one coming in, and that's what we need here. Yeah, and this new guy, actually, he's, uh, he's, his wife's local. She's from down in Buxton, so she came up. She's got a shop in town, uh, uh, Geneva. So anyone that's out there, go shop there, help them out. But uh, right on 3rd Street. Um, so that's, you know, you don't normally have this local feel. So having a guy that's got family here and, uh, is from the area is, is very rare. And to know early on that you're going to be the next base commander, like he did a year in advance while he was the, the vice commander. So he was second in charge. So it's going to be a lot of continuity, uh, um, involved there. So it's pretty exciting. So he had a heads up that he was going to be. Yeah. Normally they wouldn't find out and you'd be introducing a new wing commander, uh, you know, basically at the ceremony, but everybody out there already knows him. He was the vice commander for, um, for a year. Um, so very unique situation, and uh, I think he's got a, a br- very bright future, Colonel Curry. Well, that's good news for the base and good news for Grand Forks Absolutely. and the community at large. Um, Absolutely. So, hey, what did you do this weekend? I went. I got out of town. I was able to go to the lake, and uh, it rained on Saturday, so it was kind of tough, but we just stayed inside, watched movies, ate popcorn. It was uh, it was pretty exciting. I mean, not exciting. It was pretty needed, let's call it that. Uh, so you guys got rain at the lake this weekend? Yeah, we did. The water is really low. I want to say we're probably a foot two feet low from where we normally even when i put the dock in it had maybe three four inches now there's probably 18 inches to two feet uh, beneath it see at my place my neighbor told me four inches down but the when i look at it it looks more like a foot i mean we got a ton of beach we never had before well, you're uh, you're new in the, the, the lake home cabin business i hear i heard you just picked up a place so you're gonna have to do a lot of work on it yeah second generation the divorce took the first one. Oh, that's what happened <laughs> yeah, well so. We're on number two. I can have you didn't cut it in half, and you kept half, and she got half. Uh, that you know, I brought that up, but she wasn't wasn't a taker. So, no. so we uh, the new wife and I we uh, picked one up on Grace Lake, um, just near Bemidji, and so far the so far the bass have been solid. Well, that's good. Now, are you doing more work on it than actually getting to enjoy it? That seems to be how it normally works out. Well, Jen discovered what a pressure washer can do to a aged uh, green treated lumber deck this weekend. So. There was no peace and quiet for anybody within oh, two or three geez. cabins because I think she went through, I don't know, she'd have to remind me is at least four tanks of gas or something <laughs> in that thing. And maybe I'm exaggerating, but it, it was, I felt like I was filling it quite a bit. Well, that's a messy business too, a pressure wash. You're going to get a lot of filth sprayed back on you, that's for sure. So I'm sure <laughs> she took a long, hot shower after that night. <laughs> no question about it. Uh, it was a two-day event. So, hey, um, I was unable to attend the uh, badge parade um because that fell on uh stepdaughter natalie's birthday but uh, tell me how that went and did you guys have some fun i mean did people come out it was phenomenal turnout so i you know and i originally put it on my, my goal is to raise uh, twenty thousand dollars and to uh get about 50 50 vehicles there there ended up being 150 vehicles we had uh, about 85 that uh signed up uh ahead of time then another 65 that that came on the day of so it was well attended. I heard uh, as they crossed Washington, obviously I was you know up towards the front. I heard it took uh, five minutes. It was a five-minute long train, which uh, was long enough to show that there's a, you know, a lot of respect and a lot of pride in, in what our law enforcement does, but it also didn't keep uh, 
you know, anybody trying to get home from work, uh, you know, longer than five minutes. So hopefully they can live with uh, that. They can live with five minutes. Yeah. They're waiting 40 minutes for trains sometimes. on <laughs> So five minutes is nothing for a little show of faith in our officers. You know, every other community seems like they're doing the opposite with all the defund bullshit and everything else that they're doing. And right here, we decided, you know what, let's throw a parade in their honor. And I love that you did that. And uh, absolutely fantastic for the community. Fantastic for those wearing badges, the people that run towards danger, not away from it. And so I think that all that does is, is tell folks that Grand Forks is going to be a safe city and that we're going to support the officers and not treat them like trash like some communities are doing. Well, I think it definitely sends a message. And you're on the same page with me. This is probably common sense to us, but for some people... Um, they can't wrap their heads around who's keeping them safe every day. And th- it was a message to the rest of, uh, in my opinion, the rest of the country. We've got a safe and secure, family-friendly place where we believe in law and order and we respect and honor our law enforcement here. And it is unique, un- unfortunately, in this country now. But uh, Chief Nelson, uh, in the paper the next day, he's, you know, they must have talked to him. And he said you know, he was very humble. And even uh, you know, officers that were along the route doing their job were just happy just to see the number of people and People coming out in their yard saluting the flag. I mean, it was just awesome to be able to see that. You know, people as we drove by would come out of their houses, wave, and then they'd see all the flags going by and they were saluting. It's just like, you know, this is America. It's okay to be patriotic. We have a great country. Let's be proud of it. You're absolutely right. It's okay to be patriotic. Um, and it's, you know, it's also nice to know that we did this for a positive reason this time. The last time there was a law enforcement parade going through town, it was for a horrible reason. And so uh, this time, you know, everyone could have smiles on their face instead of tears in their eyes. We shouldn't need those stark reminders. I mean, that's that's not the way that you don't need to wait till something like that happens to be able to, to go out and honor um, what they do every day. So I, I hope that we never see that again uh, as long as I live and, and into the future. Well, I hope that for your entire time as mayor that this gets to be a bigger and bigger and bigger event. And, you know, and maybe some other cities will see this and follow suit. You know, maybe you started something here. Maybe, maybe there's <laughs> cities that already do it that I'm aware of. But you know what, I'm you know, not completely void of knowledge of what goes on or other outside of Grand Forks. And I've never heard of it. Yeah. I mean, if there was anybody probably within, you know, an hour or two drive, I feel like I would have known about it because I would have been there. Uh, but I, I would imagine next year there, there was a lot of people that came up to me afterwards uh, or sent me messages uh, that said, oh, if I would have known about that, you know, I would have, I would have been there. So I, I think we'll be double or triple the size next year. It's just when you advertise things now in the newspaper, social media, on the radio, it's so watered down because it's, you just get thrown with events, events, events. So Having one that's kind of a standout event like this, it's it's hard to, you know, get people to see it. But uh, we had a great turnout, and you know, everyone that was there probably knows five people, and, and maybe a few of them will come next time. That'd just, be interested. Just yeah. out of curiosity, for next year, has your wife Jen called shotgun yet in, in, in your side by side? I might let her in next year. We'll okay. see. She had to ride in uh, cart number three with Grandpa, um, but uh, next year we might. We'll see. We only got a two seater. You know, we bought that thing, and my wife goes, well, "Should we get a four seater?" And I'm like, no, because then the kids would get to come. Why would I want to do that? You know, it's supposed to be an escape. It's not an escape if they're strapped to the back of us. Well, it, my point is, is if she hasn't called shotgun yet, at least put me in for second on that list if she bows out or something. Because I know I know what that thing, or I may or may not know what that thing can do. Sounds good. Hey, that's, uh, we'll keep that in mind for next year. <laughs> Anything else going on in town uh, that's fun that we should talk about before I hit a couple topics? Geez, that's fun. You know, right now we're in the middle of budget season, so I'm preparing that. That's been a you know a, a lot of work every day with uh, different department heads and, and with the city administrator. But it's looking good. We're not going to raise uh, property taxes again this year. Um, there was an overall uh, growth in a mill. It was I think somewhere around like 1.6 percent. So that's kind of half of your growth and half of your revaluation. So like for example, your house is 200,000. Now it's worth 205. 
we didn't take that increment, that five thousand. You're going to pay the same, but the person next to you that had a lot now they have a two hundred thousand dollar house. We we're going to take that that growth, not the revaluation. So everyone should have a pretty should have a flat sales or property tax, which is uh, it's two, the year before we were able to do a cut. This year it's flat. So since I've been in there in two budgets, uh, it's only gone down. Two budgets only gone down. That should always be the goal, especially in a community that's kind of struggling for population. You want to make it more accessible to people on you know fixed incomes you know you want you want folks you want people raising families and well let's be honest i mean uh, a lot of families don't have tons and tons of cash when they're getting started and so we want them here you know those those are the people that fill our schools those are the guys that and the gals that fill our workforce and let's get some of those help wanted signs out of the front doors of a lot of these places and let's 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 get grand forks rolling and i believe you're uh your idea on keeping taxes flat is definitely a step in the right direction. There's no question about that. Yeah, definitely. Last year was tough. The budget was, you know, cut quite a bit. So we had to bring some things back because, you, you know, you can't not fund uh, a lot of these capital, you know, whether it's police cars, fire engines, any type of equipment. So we've, we had to get to get that back in the budget. But uh, no, and it's businesses, too, because you operate a business, and whether it's an apartment building or you own, uh, you know, different buildings in the construction, whatever it may be. That all adds up, and if you don't have the confidence that uh, the price that you're going to pay to do business in town is, is going to be you know reasonable, you're not going to come here. But, or you know, people just uh, in general can move out to the county if they're afraid that the city's not you know those services aren't worth it to them. So that seems again to me to be common sense. It's that it's common sense uncensored. You heard it here first. <laughs> you know, the, and one other thing, I want to I'm going to pump your tires just a little bit, and then I'll go back to you know beating you up a little bit, but I will say this. I, I really, really appreciate the road construction that's going on because it shows a dedication to fixing these roads that had been not holding up the best. And um, right now, it you know, to get from point A to point B in town takes a little bit longer, but I'll tell you what, there is a ton of projects going on right now, and it's it's an absolute must for a community that that sees temperatures that reach what what do we get a couple weeks ago 105 degrees and and we'll see 40 below this year i mean it's almost a certainty so you know th- those type of swings are tough on on concrete they're tough on everything on everything they're tough on humans i mean my knees holy mackerel <laughs> you know so um that's that's i think a lot of people even though they they get sick of waiting in traffic and trying to maneuver the cones and all that i think a lot of people are very appreciative of that and they they see the change from when you stepped into that role from where it was before. And um, I think that's appreciated. And well, so it's a, it's just a priorities. You know, we prioritize public safety and infrastructure. Those are the two main priorities. That's the, the core of what a city should do. Uh, and that's what we focus focused on. Uh, granted, the weather's been phenomenal. We haven't lost like a single construction day. If it rains, it's been raining at night or on the weekend. So we've been very lucky there. We could use a little bit more rain, but if it keeps coming on the weekends and the nights, we'll keep that road construction flying. Well, you know, as long as the rain stays away from that Beltrami County uh, area on the weekends and <laughs> <laughs> rains here during the week, it's good with we me. We could swap it out. Uh, during the week, it can rain at the lake, and then it can stay away and, and come here on the weekends. That's what I'm thinking. You have any uh, cool projects that you know folks might not be aware of coming down the pipe in Grand Forks uh, that you're allowed to talk about? I understand some things you're not allowed to, but is there anything that's beyond the stage where you can talk about Jeez, it. We got a couple that are really close that I think people are going to be uh, really excited about that are quality of life. I, I probably just because there's some private entities that play, I can't probably talk about them, but let's just say, uh, you know, at least one of the malls is going to have something real soon. And hopefully the other mall is going to have a real big project coming, um, you know, within the next year or two, because uh, people have been waiting a long time. You know, I was asking the question before I got in, what are we doing with Columbia mall? You know, what are we doing with the grand cities mall? And I said, well, we're, we're getting there, but, uh, 
Um, now I'm a year in and it's, uh, we had to go through this, this, this fight that we had this last year, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, now we're going to get back to doing the things that I wanted to do. And that's a big priority. Yeah. The Columbia mall, it's hard to even talk about the Columbia mall and keep a straight face. I, as a guy that sits on property, I can't even fathom having a property of that magnitude just sit there like that with seemingly no progress. It's going in the other direction for how many years has it been? I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's been in great shape since you and I were in college at UND. No, it was kind of old then, but at least it was full of life and full of stores. Um, I, my wife used to work there at uh, Marshall Fields. Uh, I'd go check, you know, check her out every now and then. But uh, I think the value peaked like 2013 and around about 30 million and it's, it's sub 10 million now. So the amount that they've lost in value, you know, 20 plus million dollars and they haven't really uh, bothered to reinvest or to reimagine it at all. It's just shocking to me. It's it's a business plan and what not to do with them all. Oh. And it's bizarre forget the value how how about just the income from the property i mean they've got to be so upside down on that thing i i couldn't even dream the the numbers would give me a panic attack if i was crunching them well as you and as you know when you when you lose money on these types of things you you build up these losses i mean this is like what trump had these massive losses well if you don't have another project or you don't have a rebuild you don't get to write those losses off and then they just disappear so they've got to they've got to do something there because they can have a lot of gains in the future that they won't pay tax on because of how much they've lost in the last decade Oh, no questions, uh, especially in North Dakota, um, income tax. It's going to be probably decades before they have to pay anything in tax because of what they're showing. Do you think there's a chance that in reality they're actually really smart business folks, but this is literally <laughs> being used as a loss leader? Uh, um, or, or you don't I have don't to, know how to comment because we are working with them, but I do think they um, – it, 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 from my opinion, it's 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 the the, the former, not the latter. Um, <laughs> well, it just it'd be a phenomenal move if they had all these. I guess the easy thing would be okay. They got six malls that are doing great, so this is their loss leader. But I mean, to what end is the other question? But no, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, for what I've heard, this is their mall that's doing the best, which is kind of scary. This is the mall doing the best, yeah. the Columbia Mall. Yeah, believe it or not, that's that's what I've heard. I, I don't want to say it's a hundred percent, but I've heard this is the. Either it's the best in their portfolio, or it's doing the best in their portfolio. Which hopefully it's just the you know the most expensive. I don't. Either way, it doesn't make for a good story. I am sitting here speechless <laughs> right now. <laughs> that would be an oh jeez. Well, I can't wait to get this this video sent right over to them. They're going to be happy after this one. Well, well, well. We'll we'll your viewership's expanded. I'm sure there's a lot of people in Chicago watching. Mostly, so. our, it's mostly Chicago that we, we yeah. hit hard, especially when we talk about like Ground Force School Board and stuff. They they're just glued to it. <laughs> oh, you, is that a segue? You're starting into that. Well, we could you're, we could touch you're on it. The notes in there. Yeah. Well, well, there was a big vote. Um, when was that? That would that would have been last Tuesday. When I saw you at the polls, not going to ask you how you voted, um, but as a, as the mayor of Grand Forks, I will ask you uh, what are your thoughts? What message do you think was sent to the school district? And then uh, I'll tell you what message I think was sent to the school <laughs> district, and we'll make sure that the uh, listeners know that these are two very separate messages coming from two very different yeah. people. Yeah. Well, I think the message was clear. The clear the answer was no. It was either we we don't trust you, or that this is the wrong idea. Um, I think on the uh, on the building, the the message was this is the wrong idea. We don't want this, and you didn't listen to us. You um, had an answer that you wanted it. Uh, you wanted proof of that answer, so you you brought a group in to give you proof of that answer, um, but you didn't listen to the people. Um, on the mills, um, I was one that I voted f- uh, for the mills, but I voted against the building, and you you probably um, uh, were, were against both. But I I think it was needed. I think that 
that was a vote of no, we don't trust you or we don't um, necessarily believe in you. So they've got to re- re-earn that trust. And it's, I don't think it's too far gone. You can always change. Tomorrow's always another day. But that was the message that was sent that you need to do better on, your, on how you're spending our money. Well, and then I guess the message I believe was sent was I believe there was a vote of no confidence. I, I believe that it was, it was very clear. I think that it was sent to specifically Terry Brenner and the school board itself. Um, not saying the whole school board, but I think specifically some of the folks that have been here long enough to have dug us into this hole. I, and that's the message we kept hearing from, from people out in the community was that I wouldn't give these people money. He goes, I know the school needs money. And, and I heard from many people, and I'm included in this, I would have either left blank the mills or voted yes under any, almost any different administration. Yeah. But I don't trust them. Well, I think if they just were going for the mills, and that's what I said from the start, you would have, instead of 5,500 people or whatever it was, there would have been 2,000 that would have went and voted. They probably would have passed 90, 10. But they got, they, they got people um, roused up and, and were ready to, to go fight it. And, and, you know, people like yourself. The funny thing was I saw you there with uh, Whitney Berry and uh, uh, what's her husband's Justin, Justin Berry. Yeah. So that photo that, you, that got posted on the internet of you guys, we happened to be there at the same time voting. So I saw you guys and I thought, geez, this is a sight to see. So you took it. <laughs> I took the picture. So I didn't get any photo credit there on, online, but that's okay. Well, it was Whitney's post. So if, if credit needs to be added, we could certainly uh, get in there before you get your lawyers on us. Well, we can, uh, we can blame Whitney. That's good. <laughs> I don't, yeah. And I think, you know, the next, I mean, the, the next obvious question is, well, what's next? Well, I think uh, that uh, we're going to look in, in probably within a year, they're going to look to try to get uh, the, the, the mills and have a, a little better plan going forward. But I still think it's, it's a lot along the lines of what the, maybe the city had before I got, and you got to cut some of those administrative costs, you, you know, your administration in the small office that we had in the, the uh, mayor's and city administrator's office, we were able to cut $250,000 off of that. Day, you know, basically within the first couple of months that I was in there, the schools seem to be adding expenses there. And you, you've got, you can't just be bring people in to tell you what you want to hear. You know, you, you, now you sit around a bigger table with more people and now you're going to answer the same thing or you want them to tell you what to do. I mean, you got to have leadership. And I, I think Brenner's doing the best that he can with the hand he was dealt. Um, I think he can be a good leader under certain circumstances, but this is really wartime. You know, you kind of need that wartime leader in there because that's what they're, what they're going through right now. And it's, uh, it's a tough situation to be in, so I don't uh, don't want to be in. His, you know, you never want to have to put yourself in his shoes in such a bad time. So you got to give him a little credit there. Well, you <laughs> maybe you, you won't. You, you can if I you'd can. like. I <laughs> I have a different thought process on that. But um, you know, I sat down and had lunch on um, Friday with uh, one of the people that was staunchly in the yes category, and what I felt was a great deal of just. Um, just blindness to the other side. Um, I, I felt, uh, you know, I heard him use, you know, euphemisms, umbrella statements, like just like, you know, th- things like, well, Valley has to be knocked down. Well, does it? Like, are you sure? Because I haven't been inside and seen the foundation, but I know this, that bricks that were manufactured in the fifties and sixties are a lot better than the ones manufactured now. The, there, there's probably no issues with that structure. Now, does it need rehab? Probably, but you could make an argument that every building in Grand Forks, to some extent, needs rehab. I mean, you and I live in the same neighborhood. Our house could use some things already. I mean, we have those, you know, kids running around, messing everything up, tearing stuff up. <laughs> so we even got two tiles that just came up in the shower not too long ago. You know, the place is only two years old. So 
you know, everything needs rehab. But silly me, I thought that was what Chris Arnold's job was. But apparently, I was wrong. It's only to push for referendums. And so I, I you know, the job that I currently sit in, I, I can just about imagine if I, if I was like, well, we're, we're not going to fix these issues. What we're going to do is go to the owners for more money. Cash calls, just cash calls. Yeah. We're not just going to fix something. We can knock these things down. You know, these were built in the 70s. They're no good anymore. Not like I got three buildings sitting right by City Hall that were built in the 1800s that are totally fine. But, but no, no, no. We'll just knock down the schools. And I don't understand the umbrella statements and those type of um, just, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? It's an echo chamber that was there. And yes. They, they can, you know, and they, they, you tend to find those people. We've, we've seen these, what's the, the social media, social experiment or something. You know, your feeds are only going to show you the stuff that you agree with half the time. And you get stuck in those bubbles, and then you think, uh, you know, you're not talking to people that are on the other side. I mean, I, I talked to people that were on both sides, but I could pretty clearly see it was like, you know, seven or eight to one what is what it really felt like when I was talking. When you drive through town, you see those no signs. They were, I don't know, 10 to one maybe throughout town. So the people that were on the no side were really a lot more passionate than the people on the yes side, that's for sure. Oh, no question. And I think you made the best point possible about this is, the people that are mostly affected by it were the ones that don't want it the worst. Yeah. And so how can we go through with it? it I mean, the, and the yes side was that there's something for everyone. I was having you know a hard time seeing what, what that something was for everyone. I think for most people, if you were on the south end, you weren't getting a new school. You're still going to the same schools. If you're on the north end, the neighborhood schools that you want, you were now losing. Um, so the argument, I mean, it didn't give a lot to anybody, really. That, that something was a tax bill. <laughs> everyone yeah. got that. Yeah. So it was tough, but I mean, it's, we work with the school district. I try not to be too hard on, we work, you know, we have to work together on another, you know, TIF projects, you know, I think that they have some really competent people. They're dealt with a a bad hand. Is there some that have been on there for a while that may have caused the problems? You can ask Dana Sandy about that. He'll tell you his opinion. Oh, I heard it. It was genius. uh, (laughs) Well, but I mean, a lot of that, you know, some of that stuff's before, you know, I was really actively involved and it's, uh, you know, you. How, how much can you really blame a person, say, that has been on the school board the last couple of years? I don't know that you can give them a ton of blame. No, they, they don't deserve any, really, because they yeah. didn't put us in this position. They're just trying to get us out somehow. So, yeah, I understand Could that. Could they have pushed back, though? Once, once they saw that maybe this, it just seemed like, you know, you worked on this science project all school year, and it got to the end, and it was the day to turn it in. And you probably just shouldn't have turned it in. But they decided to turn it in, try to get a blue ribbon. And that was the, the, the bond referendum. You did know? you make the same volcano I made? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What did I make? I had something like that, but... So I got to read this because this text came into the program and I know that she's very special to you. Bailey Borg says, Brandon Bochensky, you are the best mayor I can ask for. An amazing friend to me. You are funny, smart, amazing person inside and out and <clears throat> special to have me in your heart. Forever I'm glad to be your friend. Oh, Bailey's the best. That she almost she came it. out to that ride too. You know, Bailey came out. She was at a, a golf tournament earlier in the day and she still made out. So she played 18 holes and still came to the back of the badge ride that night to, just to support me. So... It's a two-way street. I, I support her whenever I can. She supports me. So she's, a, she's just phenomenal. She and is the best. We have birthdays. are only two days apart, too. So we're gonna, we, we were supposed to have a big celebration when COVID hit uh, a year and a half or a little over a year ago. But we'll have to do another one. She's playing in the Grand Forks Republican Women's Scramble with my wife, Jen. Oh, nice. And so they've been kind of getting geared up for that because they need to bring home a trophy. I accept nothing less. So they invited my wife to that one, too. But we're going to be actually going on the UTV ride down in Rapid City. So we're going to miss out on, on that one. Um, of course, the uh, uh, 
I think I'm golfing another one with Bailey. We're trying to do the uh, there's a Realtors Open one too, so I'm gonna try to get out there with her for that one. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a good one. Which ones? You and I are doing Frank White's and Devin Grew Memorial. Yep, I believe so. Yeah, that's uh, about the only time I get to play golf now is in these scrambles. So my game's really gone south. But I, as long as I hit, you know. A long one and stick it next to the pin every now and then. Uh, they usually like to have me on their scramble team. Yeah, let's talk about that because it doesn't even really seem fair. You hockey guys, especially you specifically, I played with a lot of hockey guys. What in the hell? Why does it look like you're not even trying to hit the ball? And it it travels that far. There's only a couple of holes at Valley that are even driver holes for you if you're hitting if you're clicking on all cylinders. What the hell? Yeah, the uh, <laughs> we got did get to play together out there at Valley. I uh, I think it's you know. Over my life, I've probably shot, you know, a million to two million uh, slap shots and wrist shots. And, that, you know, the, uh, uh, over, the, over the time, I think you, uh, you develop some of that, that core strength that, uh, uh, you know, maybe when I was uh, taking slap shots, you were drinking beer. So it may be slow to slow that. <laughs> That's uh, probably still in the ring. That midsection switched up a little bit. But for whatever it is, you, I think you just get, you know, it's the muscle memory and you just tighten up when you hit the ball. If I could get it to go straight all the time, then I'd be onto something. I'd be like Happy Gilmore, but... Till then, well, it's not that far from being straight. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a it's fun to watch. Hockey hockey is interesting. Um, generally speaking, the athletes seem to be more respectful, uh, nicer guys. Um, and I'm not talking color here. I'm just talking the sport. Is there something about hockey and the way it's coached, the way it's taught, that makes uh, gentlemen instead of men? There's just there's so much value in the team in the team effort and you always put the team first. Like if you were to interview a hockey guy that had a good game, he's he's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about the team. And it's a sport where you know, but let's be honest, fighting is legal in the sport. Um, you could almost any time take a stick and hit them. You're going to get in trouble for that. But there's a, a large amount of danger out there. And if you don't have a team that's got your back to to look out for you, and you're you know you're a guy that's a jerk to your teammates, you're in physical danger. I mean, you really can be because you might. You know, even it could be something innocent. You crush a guy that's their best player, and suddenly you got three of their fighters coming after you. Well, if your teammates don't respect you to fight for you. are going to get thumped by three guys. So there's a team aspect to it that I think leads to um, a lot less selfishness. It's not it's not about me. It's about the team, and it's kind of a cliche, but it true. It's it's very true when it comes to hockey. Speaking of getting crushed, who was that behemoth you played with in Pitt? And, um, Zidane Ochara yeah, in Boston. Yeah. How, how well, tall is he? He's six foot nine. He's 260 pounds, about 2% body fat. His dad was a, a, a Roman Greco, Greco Roman wrestler. Jeez, spit that out. Uh, you know, the worst part when you have to play against a monster like that, at least if you play against him, you only face him like, you know, four times, two or four times a year. When he's on your team, you got to fight him every <laughs> practice. Oh my! I mean, it's just when a, someone's that big and that strong, and and you're on skates, it's a different. Like if I'm going against you, it's always shoulder to shoulder. But he's almost pushing down on you and everything. That's why he's still playing. He's like 45. He was in the league for three or four years after I came, and I spent a 15 year career, and he's been there for three or four years since I've been there. So he's a he's a beast. Is is he the most physically imposing guy in the league? Definitely, just because of his, his height. And you had guys like a Chris Pronger was big, too. But if Chris Pronger took his, you know, if you geared down, he's not, he wasn't as heavy. He was like 220, you know, 215. But he looked huge on skates and his equipment. Um, if you look at Chara, I mean, that guy's just scary. Like, he looks like the world's strongest man off the ice, let alone you get him on the ice. And his feet are like, you know, 
size 18 it feels like <laughs> lucky for miss chara yeah lucky for miss chara but he couldn't even move his yeah he couldn't get his feet out of the way early on in his career but he worked so hard that he's so you know well coordinated but yeah he was uh he's a really good guy too so i was gonna ask you a few things about your hockey career nothing i don't want stats or anything like that i was just <laughs> curious you got any cool stories something that the average person listening just would go oh wow that is fascinating i mean i know you spent some time with tim thomas he's a character yeah i was there uh tim thomas when he was actually it was just just after i left but i knew tim thomas he he did the whole uh he didn't visit the white house when obama was there <laughs> for political reasons he was the only guy i don't know if i got a cool story but i had you know i had a couple times where um you know uh like when I was in Boston, when you get traded, it's just bizarre because suddenly you're just dead to them. You got to move to a new place. So I was in Boston. I had a buddy come visit. It was between Christmas and New Year's. And uh, I had a buddy that was coming out to spend New Year's with us. Well, December 26th, I get a call saying, hey, uh, yeah, we're sending you to, to, you know, to Anaheim. You got to pack your bags. You're leaving tonight. <laughs> I'm like, great joke, guys. Beat it. You know, not, not funny. I'm, you know, I'm hungover from Christmas. Thanks a lot. You know, hung up. I get a call back. He's like, uh, no, sorry. This is actually Peter Shirelli. You are getting sent down <laughs> or you are getting sent. You are getting traded. I'm like, Oh geez, I just made a fool of myself. But, uh, cause he was calls you like the day after Christmas. So then I had to literally pack up and leave. And my wife, we had a nice brownstone, um, townhouse right down from Bunker Hill in Boston. And I had to just leave her. I had to pack up and, and move to uh, Anaheim and I didn't make it that night for the game, but, um, I joined the team and then played, I think the you know, the next night or the night after. So, it happens quick and it's, you know, you had your whole life set there. I thought I was going to be in Boston forever and suddenly I'm in Anaheim and I'm wearing shorts and don't really have the right outfits to even work down there. And all of a sudden I'm, uh, you know, right down the street from Disneyland is where I'm staying. So it's, it's pretty bizarre. And then the worst part was my stuff, it, it made it to Anaheim and I actually got traded again. So I got traded. Timo Solani came back that year. So I went to Anaheim and I was like the, you know, kind of, the, I was a forward and they had to make room on their roster because Timo Solani was coming back at retirement. So he decides... Like three weeks after I get there, he's coming back out of retirement. And then I got traded again, so then I had to pack up and go to Nashville. So my stuff made it to Anaheim, but I never even got it. It was in storage. And then they're like, all right, we're going to ship it to Nashville now. I'm like, just send it home. I don't <laughs> want it there. Oh, that was a fun year, getting traded twice in the same year. But I, it depends how you look at it. Either, either I was really wanted or, <laughs> or not wanted, one of the two. Really wanted or really dis- yeah. disliked. One of the, yeah. Disappointed, yeah. Oh, well. How many teams did you ultimately play for in the NHL? Played on six six NHL teams. Six teams. So we've covered Boston, Nashville, Let's, and uh, Yeah, we'll go in order. I got drafted by Ottawa, so I left college after three years, went to Ottawa. Um, then from there, I got traded to Chicago, Boston, um, Anaheim, Nashville, and then I signed a two-year contract in Tampa, and that's... That's where we uh, I played out my NHL career before going over to over to Russia. Was see? Would you have been before Chicago got real good? Was that yeah? Good? I was there when they were getting all their good draft picks. Okay, so when they were Kane drafting, and, yeah, Kane, Kane and, Taze, and Taze. Yeah, exactly. So I actually did that in Boston too. For some reason, when you get traded at the deadline, usually you get traded to uh, you know if you're a younger player to a team that's building, and they'll um, they'll trade away one of their old veterans to a team that's going to be a contender. So that happened to me a couple times. So I actually, in a way, helped build Boston and. Uh, and uh, Chicago by being there when the teams were really bad and they were building and they were getting good draft picks. Well, both those teams wound up with rings. Did they bother to send you one? I mean, that wouldn't have been a nice <laughs> thing to do, wouldn't it? Uh, well, they didn't bother to keep me around for the time that they were playing <laughs> the Stanley Cup. So that I could have earned one, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want one mailed to me, you know. Uh, tell me about tell me about the KHL. That was, uh, that was really interesting. So I, I got a call uh, like in April. I was still playing in Tampa, and they said, 
uh, you know, as an agent over there, he said, there's some teams interested in you. Do you have any interest? And I said, yeah, you know, we're fighting for a playoff spot here. He's like, well, they're going to pay you, you know, X amount of dollars. It was like 200 grand a year more than I was making there. And I said, well, think about it. And he's like, well, you got to sign by the end of the week. Like, <laughs> to, to move to Kazakhstan. To move to Kazakhstan. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, all right, now I, I got to look up what's going on in Kazakhstan. So obviously I rented the movie Borat. <laughs> That's the only way to know. <laughs> Uh, so then I'm like, heck no, I'm not going to Kazakhstan. And then I went to Wikipedia and learned a little bit more about it. Uh, no, that was a joke. But I know. It's, uh, hilarious. Um, hilarious. That movie was awesome. It was pretty funny, but not very accurate. Uh, so huh. so I, uh, uh, decided, I was still playing, actually, over there. You can, you, it, to me, it seems like a conflict of interest. But over in Europe, you can actually sign for, to, with another team while you're still playing on the one that you're on for the next season. Well, I um, convinced my wife that we were going to um, – at least try it for a year that, you know, I was kind of getting beat up in the NHL, my shoulders and my, my knees were struggling. And I said, it's a one year deal, but I didn't tell her I had actually just signed a two year deal. <laughs> uh, so then we, yeah, she didn't come the first year, but the, the next uh, seven years that she was there with the family, um, she, she went back, I had one son that was born um, and she flew back for that birth, but she had the whole pregnancy there. And then my last son was actually born there. So she decided to stay. So um, does he have dual Kazakhstani and American citizenship? So I'm not, really sure how that works because when you're a u.s citizen you're basically u.s you pay taxes here once you get the u.s passport they don't really recognize anything else but i he's got a he's got a citizen abroad birth certificate but he's also got a kazakh birth certificate so i don't know the real benefits of him trying to switch to kazakh well, i mean he could freely move between kazakhstan and the united states yeah, isn't that great <laughs> <laughs> oh hey that was a pretty funny uh my other kids uh they were still young well my my son was only like three or two when he when charlie was born he goes but dad we're not even going to be able to understand him. If he's born in, in Russia, he's going to speak Russian. <laughs> so he was convinced that because he was born there, he wasn't going to speak English. So uh, we had to tell him, well, it kind of depends on, you know, the family and what they're talking to him and which language they're talking to him in. Can uh, you speak any Kazakhstani? Konnichna. What does that mean? Chut-chut. I said, of course, a little bit. Paruski, my comrade. Because you were a big deal there. I had to go, yeah, I had to, I had to go all the way to, uh, I just had to move 12 out time zones away to actually be a big deal. So some people, they go to Hollywood, <laughs> I had to go to Kazakhstan in a place that was uh, 16 million people. So, yeah, you, it was pretty, they treated me really well. And they, um, you know, I, I, we wouldn't have stayed that long if they didn't. And I had to find some stability in my career and in my family life. And that's, that's where we found it. And brought a lot of money back home and paid a lot of taxes here at the same time. So win-win. Yeah, the American dream is move to Kazakhstan and pay a whole bunch of taxes to the American government. <laughs> nothing, more, nothing like that. Yeah, the, the, so that he was asking about the game, how the game is. Um, so I would say it's pretty, pretty standard uh, knowledge that it, in the, the Russian league is probably the second best league in the in the world. Um, it's a bigger ice sheet, so it's it's Olympic. I had to actually get, become a better skater to to, to make myself. Uh, uh, be able to survive and, and play there. So I had to develop as a player, even at a, as a 29-year-old when I was there. Um, you would think it'd be less physical, but with that extra space, you get higher speeds, so you get big collisions. Um, fighting, probably not as much fighting, but there was still some fighting, so you still had to be ready. Um, really a skilled game, not as much dump and chase, so a lot of puck control. But I was able to change my game and, and be effective there, which was, uh, I wouldn't say surprising, but was challenging. How many times would you say, if you had just had to guess, that you dropped the gloves in the KHL? Oh, in the KHL, probably only three or four times, yeah. How about the NHL? NHL, I was smart to not do it there. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with the NHL is, yeah, you can get some guys that are uh, like my size and they, you know, they've never been in a fight in their life and they, they might be a little scared. But then you could also get a guy the same size that's fought you know, 
83 times in juniors and he's uh you know knows every trick in the book and next thing you know your nose is touching your cheekbone <laughs> i've seen many folks stumble out of the ring looking that way yeah well people always ask why you know you're, you're lucky you didn't lose any teeth uh and i say yeah i'm pretty lucky but nothing ever got by my nose <laughs> <laughs> well shit there's a lot of i mean you've seen a lot i mean there's there's almost i, be, I would be willing to bet that we'll say this this thing gets viewed, I don't know, six, seven hundred times or something on Facebook. I'd be willing to bet that of everyone viewing, no one's been to Kazakhstan. Yeah, you're, you know, you're probably right, unless my wife watches. <laughs> oh, maybe she'll watch. Besides Jenny, no one's been to Kazakhstan. Yeah, we spent eight years living there. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a predominantly Muslim country, so it's, it's a different atmosphere for sure. Um, but you know, not to get like campaigny, but it gave me kind of a good uh, um, you know life experience and cultural experience to, to live in another country for eight years. You've you've gained that experience of of having um, you know basically immigrating essentially to another place and and being an outsider, being a foreigner there, um, and a place that isn't super friendly. People there they got the mentality that uh, you know I've got a lot of friends, friends are a lot of work. Why do I need more friends? So. That was their mentality. That's why they're not particularly nice to you. But once you get in their inner circles and you become friends, they're, I mean, they're some of the most loyal friends and they would uh, take a bullet for you. But it, uh, it was a challenge, a totally different culture, you know, very um, large class separation between, um, you know, who, the haves and the have-nots. So like the business owners and the government workers had all the money and everyone else lives very poor. And the fans of, of hockey actually tended to be more of the people that didn't have a lot. So we really connected well with the uh, the people that kind of grew up the way I did there. So it was, uh, for me, I think that's what made me endearing um, in Astana is that the, the people saw me as, as, as one of them and saw me saw themselves in me in a lot of ways and that I just worked really hard because it wasn't necessarily that I was the best player. I think it was just that I had that passion that they could feel. What, what did it cost to get into a game? Um, I guess no one's going to know what Kazakhstani money means, but just if you had to guess uh, roughly in U.S. dollars. No, it's, that's kind of the crazy part because the, you know, the team was government-funded as well because it was part of building their national program. But to go to a game, the tickets would range the, anywhere between $2 and $10. So the best seat in the house was $10. Um, and obviously you could buy drinks and such at the game. So a sold-out stadium, our stadium held 12000 I mean, they were not even, you know, they were hardly making any money. Uh, from the games, but they had to charge something, and then they're paying you know us almost NHL comparable salaries to the to the top players. So um, there was a lot of government support that kept the team going because the team wasn't um, financially um, sustainable. How how far does ten bucks get you? Is it kind of the same as here, or is it is it get you a little further there? On the service side, it gets you a lot further. So we've uh, like my wife was pregnant. We had got uh, kind of an, some nanny help. Um, like when I would leave, she had two kids while she was pregnant. Take the dog out, so she'd get help and. Uh, we paid uh, at the time it was uh, like a thousand tenge an hour, which, which was uh, like two dollars and seventy five cents or something. And we were the highest paying people. Like other uh, people that were in our apartment complex were like, "Stop paying so much! You're putting the pressure on everybody else." So we were we were ecstatic because here we're getting phenomenal help. You know, all day the lady spoke English um, and uh, and Russian. Nurgle was her name, um, and she uh, she was really great to the kids. And she would clean and cook and do everything we wanted. And it was $2.75 an hour. So it, was, you know, it hardly cost anything. What would it cost to fly Nurgle here? I'm interested. I know. We've, hey, we've talked about it. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be a bidding war for Nurgle right now. Yeah, Nurgle was, Nurgle was great. She'd, she'd buy us gifts, like all the kids' birthdays, everything. And then you know, we had a, we still, my wife still stays in touch with her. Oh, they're still friends? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so she, but she spoke English well enough to where it didn't. It didn't slow your kids down any? No, not at all. And, and you know, my kids were in, in school, kind of half in school or half my, my wife uh, homeschooled them there. But, uh, 
Um, you know, Nerdo probably helped with their English too, some being around us all the time and kids learning some Russian and some Kazakh at the same time. Do they have, do they have a little knowledge in uh, learning? They got some, yeah. I mean, they, they've, uh, I think my daughter, by the time she left, could speak about as well as I could in, in Russian. So, you know, if you need the bathroom or you're at a restaurant or you're, um, you know, uh, at the grocery store, those types of things, you, get, you become pretty fluid in those. But if someone comes up and wants to rattle off, um, you know, talking about politics from the 80s in Russia, you're not going to know what they're talking about. <laughs> so now that, she, now that you're back and it's been a little while, has she retained that? Are you? I guess anybody. Have you, have, I've probably lost a little bit. I need, maybe I need to go to Miami and go to some clubs so I can talk to the bouncers <laughs> there. <laughs> but, uh, no, I haven't. If you don't speak it for a couple of years, you probably, I'm sure if I would go back, I could, you know, come back. But we spent, I mean, the interesting part was we spent uh, uh, eight years there, but Russian wasn't always the, you know, the language that was spoken. We had coaches that could speak English we had coaches that spoke Finnish that was the, the my second year there we had for two years we had a Finnish coach so he would speak it in Finnish and then it would get translated from Finnish to English and then from English to Russian so some things would get lost in translation but we had to we had to basically you know sit there when he would say something to three different translations or two different translations and uh, when he's upset and trying to yell something in the moment it, it's not quite getting the message across quick enough how many English-speaking guys are on those teams roughly well, each team is allowed, I believe, five imports. So you can have someone would have six, but only five could play. From here or from anywhere? Imports outside of Russia. Our team, since our team was in Kazakhstan, we didn't have that limit. So we would have somewhere between five, or five to, uh, let's say five to seven. So we had some uh, Swedish guys. We always had a Swedish uh, or Scandinavian goalie. For some reason, we had Swedish, Swedish or Finnish goalies. Um, my first couple of years, we had three Czech players. Um, and then we had a couple of Canadians from Winnipeg um, that were there for most of the time that I was there. Interesting. So we'd, you'd be a lot tighter with those groups. You'd have team events. You'd go out, and then you'd have a couple of drinks of vodka. Suddenly everyone speaks English. All the Russians <laughs> are suddenly practicing their school English. And, but uh, you know, most of the time they were uh, – it's a pretty masculine thing, you know, country. So they, they didn't want to speak English and, and do it wrong. They wanted just to be, you know, true, strong Russians. <laughs> strong like bull. Yeah. Uh, is, is vodka as prevalent as we're led to believe out there? Yeah, and it's even the, like the bottom shelf vodka is still like they wouldn't put up with a, a bad tasting vodka. So if you bought a bottle of vodka for five bucks, it was still phenomenal. Their high end vodka there, um, and it was just like water. And I had to learn, you know, a little bit of tolerance for it because you could, if you're going out with a group of Russian guys, it could be like Tuesday before a game at seven. <laughs> and they'd still order a bottle. You didn't buy it in shots there. If you bought, if you ordered uh, vodka, they brushed the bottle. So you could be sitting down with four guys, and there's a bottle, you know, like a seven fifty of. Uh, of vodka and they would darn near finish the whole thing um, just sipping it with their dinner so it was a, a kind of a different ball game and i had to um had to build up a, a bit of a vodka tolerance which was uh challenging to say the least a bottle of vodka with dinner that's a, that'd be a rough one um i uh you know I'd, i probably haven't had vodka since i was in college but i you know used to think it kind of tasted shitty but it got the job done you know you get that karkov 1.75 for like 12 bucks <laughs> they didn't sell karkov there yeah that was i, I tried to ask around for that as being funny in there they had no clue what i was talking about so i think some of the other brands were like johnson's and fletchman's and schleeman's <laughs> there's all kinds of you know uh, geared towards uh, i think college kids here in town that was definitely their their delicacy though was vodka and then they you know some of the whiskey but that was like the they'd k jackie cola you know like they, they were uh, americans or something more in a college Cowboy hat and cowboy boots. You know. <laughs> is there any? Uh, we were talking about golf earlier. I, I forgot to ask you: Is there any golf out there that's to speak of? I mean, I, I don't even know if that's something they do out there. But I don't. <laughs> you know, the stereotype I have of people in Russia and Kazakhstan is that 
their bodies don't exactly look equipped for uh, you know <laughs> graceful golf shots and putts. But I mean, I'd love to find out I'm wrong. Well, I think you know, being uh, I don't know where golf kind of originated, I guess, in Ireland, but it's more of a Westerner sport, I would say. And they they you know want to take a lot of those um, uh, sort of uh, habits and spots, you know. They were starting to play golf. I got invited out one time. They had a nine-hole course. It was in pristine shape, so they invited us to come out and play. And me and two of my buddies, and we get there. They're like, okay, you know, here's your clubs. And, it's, oh, it's $500. <laughs> U.S. dollars? <laughs> U.S. dollars. So one round for nine holes was 500 bucks. So me and my buddy said, well, uh, this isn't going to be worth it. So we ended up leaving, and then they kind of took offense to it. But the, it, is a, it was a pristine course. I was out there, you know, just a couple times. I never played at the course, actually, but... It was in phenomenal shape because it like never got played. It was, I think there was like you know twenty members in the whole town, and they had to pay fifty grand a year to be members. So that was that real class separation thing that that existed there. Yeah, I'm thinking if you know we were talking about five hundred dollars to go play Lincoln or Ray Richards, you'd see a hell of a class separation here in town too. You'd, I, I think the golf center probably have to close up their doors because yeah, you, you need uh, you need more players than the people that can afford five hundred dollar rounds. I. Yeah, Even we were could afford it I for would. nine holes too. You know, I don't know what a, what a, if you can get out in Augusta, but um, me personally, no, I haven't been invited yet. But well, I don't know if you could, but it seems like that would even be cheaper than that. I don't know. You know a guy? I'd love to get out in Augusta. I don't, I don't know any guys that could get me out. Chara, Chara doesn't have an Augusta. He, uh, I don't think he plays a lot of golf. He'd have to get like you know eight foot golf putter, <laughs> a driver. <laughs> well, with his swing, he'd probably outdrive me with yeah. a big hunk of rebar with a sun-dried tomato on the bottom of it he had like a 140 uh um, you know the stiffness in his stick i would i would use like a 95 or 100 his was like you know 40 or 50 percent stronger the stiff the flex was his stick as tall as you on skates it was pretty close It was probably uh close to my height off skates probably like where you know normally you'd go to your nose so his yeah it would be probably just over our head we'd always joke because like you'd have some of the shorter players instead they'd be like a foot below Char a stick. Now, how do you get around that poke check? So I watch a lot of wild games, and you'll see. Uh, you know, I think I think the guy's name is Tricky Ricky, the that uh, is their equipment guy. And so somebody will shatter a stick, and you can see him frantically going through and uh, looking for the right stick for the right guy, so he doesn't accidentally give him someone else's stick. I'm guessing that job is pretty freaking easy with Sedano Charo when you just look for the one that stands 12 inches taller than all the rest of them. That's pretty easy to do. I did see one time uh, there was like a scramble. I think Charo was like against St. Louis or something. And they got against St. Louis. Well, they got in a battle, like not a fight. They were just like in a battle and they both lost their sticks. And it like St. Louis picked up Charo's and was skating up the ice with it. Like, uh, uh, tell the listeners how tall St. Louis is, by the way. Oh, he's, uh, you know, he's probably five, six. Five, on seven. skates probably well yeah i mean he, you look smaller when you're you know head below but uh he was a beast too oh he was a good player but yeah. he was he was a water bug on the ice yeah he's not still around is he uh, living yeah I don't well know no i'm not asking if he died i'm just wondering <laughs> if he's playing still no no he retired he went up to new york for a season um and had a playoff run there but he won a cup down in uh in tampa well it's good it's good to hear that Martin St. Louis is still alive and still yes, with us. <laughs> Anybody else you want to know if they're alive? Yeah, no, we'll go through a bunch of players here. Just right. as you know, they've been off the grid for a while. Um, that that five hundred dollars for nine holes. Wow. Yeah. So you could see. You at least get a card. I don't think. I think it was like no card either. Plus, it was like maybe the rental fee was in there too for the clubs, but the clubs were like just crap. Is this know? like one of those Las Vegas like topless? Uh, 
cart girls courses? <laughs> I yeah, I can't say I'd looked for that, but I don't think that was the case. Okay. Just, just, <laughs> just, just imagine uh, the conservative nature of the Muslim country. I'm, but, trying, uh, I'm trying to figure out how this five hundred dollars <laughs> comes to be because uh, uh, you know they got to have money to mow the lawn unless it's completely government funded. I suppose they could just you know whatever. Just I'm ca- sure. Yeah, I'm sure a large part of it was that, and that's you know that's what was kind of some of the stuff was was a little odd is that when you have got these government paying jobs that were so low, and then you've got stuff that um, you know the state. A lot of the people made money similar to Russia when the uh, Iron Curtain fell and when, when Russia separated, you had this grab for, for resources and it was people that were smart businessmen, but they also had to be gritty because they had to fend off, you know, attacks and other, you know, grabs, but they ended up, you know, owning the railroads or owning oil or owning other resources. And then they conveyed that into minister of this or minister of that. So it, it took, uh, you know, some interesting turns, but just seeing that the, the government workers were all the ones that had all the money was kind of. Kind of odd, and they always seem to know when the uh, the currency devaluations were coming too, because they managed to not be holding Kazakh tangay when that happened. <laughs> oh, isn't that funny, huh? Yeah, you know, people don't realize that it is, is such a different world over there. I've never been myself. I had two buddies. No, this is Bosnia, not Kazakhstan, but we're in the same rough area, yeah. S- similar type of folks. Former, and, yeah, former Soviet bloc countries. You know, yeah. And these guys were rough and tumble. Older guys um, got to know them through work. They did sensational work. I mean, you know, if they build something, it's as good as a bomb shelter. They don't half-ass anything. You're not using no nail gun. You're using, you know, gigantic screws for something as simple as an interior door. So, I mean, these guys overbuilt everything. They just, that was their nature. They were stronger and just wildebeests. Uh, Nick and Andre are their names. Love those guys. We called them the Bosnian Wrecking Crew. Just sensational. One day I was talking to Nick. He was putting a, a sliding glass door in my old house. And uh, I just was asking him about his past. And I find out, and this is something that normally you'd think somebody would lead with. He spent a year in a POW camp because they're forced in Bosnia. You serve. You don't get to like opt out or draft or, or, or sign up for selective service and possibly be drafted if they reinstated it. Out there, that's, it's, you, you serve. Yeah. And he got, he got captured. Yeah. And he spent a year being tortured in a POW camp until he was until he was released. You tell me that's not going to make you a tough SOB. You know, you listen to well, not really listen because a lot of them aren't given a voice. But if you read Facebook or Twitter, you see all these snowflake type, you know, just people that seem like they're offended by everything. Like, can you imagine what it would take to offend? My buddy Nick, that spent a year in a yeah. <laughs> Serbian uh, POW camp, I I think it would be quite a bit. Wow. I always like the the Mark Twain quote that says, uh, um, "Travel is fatal to uh, prejudice, bigotry, and small mindedness." And uh, you know, just getting out in the world and seeing some things, and, and coming back here, and you know, it's 2021. You live in America, probably the best country at the best time to ever be alive, and you're looking for things to complain about. If there's something in your life that isn't going right. Um, probably the best place to look is the, the person in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth. You know, it's probably not looking at this or that. And it's, it's without going on and seeing what it's like in other places, we have a real ungrateful nation. And it's, uh, it's, it's hard to come back sometime and see that. That's for sure. And I believe that's, that's taught. Um, I believe that's, you know, that t- sort of uh, um, victim mentality where, you know, you're, everyone's looking for something to complain about. I believe that's taught within the university systems largely because you know i i see it from friends of mine that i graduated high school with we weren't taught that way in high school but then they go off to college and you you maintain a friendship with them and then you realize that you almost have nothing to talk about anymore because 
you know, you're the oppressor and, you know, it, you should be guilty about the color of your skin when you were born. Like you had anything to do to control that. And so it is, I, I, I think what you just said is extremely wise, you know, uh, was it Mark, was a Mark Twain quote? Yeah. Yeah. You know, because people like, well, I've only been to Mexico and Canada. I've never been even across the pond. And so, um, many folks have probably never even been to those two spots. You know, you just sit here and bitch. <laughs> and so there's, well, it sounds like we're, we're going to have a trip to Kazakhstan pretty soon. So you can be one of the watchers that has been there. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's tough. It's uh, when you've got a, a, a roof over your head, relative safety and, and a full stomach, it's easy to complain about things. And uh, when you've seen places that uh, not everybody has that it's, it's, you just become a lot more grateful. Well, and you know what, with that, my friend, um, our hour is up. Oh, that's can, it. Can Jeez, that wasn't it? so. That wasn't so bad. No. Hey, I think we got to go. We got to make a trip to Kazakhstan. It is still one of the best uh, former Soviet bloc countries outside of Belarus. <laughs> They've done phenomenal. Got some great people there. I'd love to host you there. You better do your ads here yeah, before be, you get in trouble. Yeah, before we before we get off, I'm going to talk about executive properties. Have you been putting off that remodel or something new around your house long enough? Let executive properties get it done. Executive property does all types of commercial and residential work. Kitchen, bathrooms, doors, siding, concrete cabinets, trim, tile, whatever you want, you got it there. You get the picture. Executive Properties will take the time to listen to what you want and get it done. They'll do it right. They got 30 years experience. Let Barry Romo and the crew take care of you. Always offering senior referrals and discounts. Willing to work under any budget. For your general contractor needs, call Executive Properties at 701-330-1273 or check out the website at www.executiveproperties.org and make sure to check out the reviews on Facebook and Google. You will, you will leave their work. You will love. That's an O. You will love their work. Executive Properties, your one-stop company that can do it all. I know these guys personally, and they do a great job, and that is a fact. I do know them personally. They have done tons of work for me over the years. Barry is the best. There is no doubt about that. Um, Brandon, I really appreciate you coming out, brother. Uh, it was a fun show, and... Uh, I'd love to have you again. Maybe next time we can have Scott Meyer on. We can bust his balls about all the work that didn't get done in the uh, the state. Oh, sounds good. Thanks for having me. Take care. This was Common Sense Uncensored with Mark Rusted, Episode 7, featuring my special guest, Brandon Bochensky, the mayor of the great city of Grand Forks. 